So open your Bibles to the book of Joshua. Joshua in chapter number 6. <clears throat> Joshua chapter number 6. I'm just going to read starting in verse number 24. I'm not going to read uh, the whole uh, account, but most of you would understand uh, here at the end of Joshua 6, um, the Israelites have, have defeated, uh, no, let me rephrase that, God defeated Jericho. Israelites just marched around. God's responsible for the defeat of Jericho. And they got to watch. And so that was all through uh, as we go into here to the end of chapter number six. And so rather than read a lengthy portion, I want to read just starting at verse number 24. And I'm going to read some other uh, uh, pieces into chapter number seven as we go here. You follow along as I read starting at verse 24. And they burnt the city with fire. That's Jericho. And all that was therein. Only the silver and the gold and all the vessels of brass and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. That was uh, God's commandment. And Joshua saved Rahab. You remember that story? Rahab the harlot alive in her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent out to spy out Jericho. Another great story. Look at verse 26. And Joshua adjured, adjured them at that time saying, now he's repeating what they already have heard. Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, great verse here, and his fame noised throughout all the country. Couldn't be going any better. Till you get to the next verse. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. Talking about those things mentioned in verse 24. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So I've titled the message, you might think this is odd, No Mulligans. <laughs> Most of you men know what I'm talking about, and I'll explain that if you don't here in just a second. No Mulligans. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you open our hearts to the truth you have for us? Thankful for everyone that's here and those who are watching. Would you bless, have your way done in our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> no mulligans is a reference for most of you men understand, if you play golf like I do, <laughs> you want as many as your uh, compadres on the golf course will give you, Generally, what it is in a friendly game of golf, on T1, uh, guys will say, all right, you can have a mulligan on the first, first tee box. So if you're like me and you shank one off uh, into the lake or the woods or you know you'll never find it again, a mulligan just simply means this. You get a free do-over. 
That's a mulligan. You get nothing ever happened. Nobody saw what you just did. And you can get a fresh golf ball out of your bag and hit into the, hit into the lake also. That's what I do. So you understand a mulligan is a do-over. I was thinking about that and I was wondering, or thinking this way, I wish in life, whenever you needed it, you could just call a mulligan. Just in general. You know, like, for instance, the cop pulls you over. Sorry, officer, I need a mulligan on this one. That'd be one. And if he, if he just said, yeah, okay, you get one. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? How about this? You flunk the test. You wreck the car. Uh, you answer your wife's question. Does this make me look fat? <laughs> Sorry, dear. I need a mulligan on that one. <laughs> you pet the dog that's never bitten anybody. You're on your way to the emergency room. Have you ever just said in your head, man, I wish I could do that over again. That day, that decision, that dumb thing I did. You understand what I'm talking about. If you lived a long time, uh, you probably could think of uh, great spans of time. Could you not? I could wish I could mulligan those years. Do them over. So you get the idea of what we're talking about. And if you're like me, there's been times where you sinned. I mean, you've broken God's commandment. And in just seconds later, we're in your head wishing, man, I'd like to do that again. Wish I could have a mulligan on that. And all of us, if you'll be honest, have looked back on a time where you were away from God, you were far from God, you were disobedient, and later, have you not looked back and said, I, I just wish I could somehow do that again, do that differently, turn right instead of left, and not make that decision, and not go there, and not say that, not make that friend. All of us, if we were honest, would say, yeah. But it's too bad, Mulligan, a mulligan only exists in one place, and that's on the golf course, if your friends are amiable. Because you don't get any do-overs in life. When you disobey God, when you break His commandments, when you sin, no do-overs. Our sin has to be dealt with. And what you have found in your life and I found in my life and what we see in Scripture over and over is the consequences of our sin are many times much greater than we imagined they would be. You can't go back and you can't do it over. And as we got into this part of this book, you know that Moses, who was the greatest leader in history, had led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. You know the story how all that took place and God uh, directed and led Moses and the plagues and, and now they went out of Egypt and heading towards the promised land and, 
And you know how the people sinned. And again, the consequences of their sin were greater than they could have imagined. And they wandered, were not allowed to go into the promised land for 40 years. And then Moses dies. And upon his death, Joshua, who has been on the scene as, as Moses' right-hand man this, for many years, now he has become the leader to lead the people into the promised land. And so with Joshua uh, leading and, and, of course, following God, they go uh, across the Jordan and towards this great city of Jericho. And you know the story of Jericho that is surrounded by these walls that are formidable, impossible for any army or anyone to overtake them. And this is their very first battle. And in a miraculous fashion, God displayed his power. And of course, you know uh, that the walls, well, they came a tumbling down and Israel uh, won the victory there in Jericho, Mo a very well-known story, how God delivered. And God gave very explicit and specific instructions to his people as uh, they were going to defeat Jericho and what he wanted to see happen. So look over in chapter number six, just so we'll have understand here. Look at verse, uh, starting at verse number 17 of chapter six. And look at what it says. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. So the word accursed in this, in, in this chapter just means dedicated. So the city shall be dedicated to the Lord. Everything in it is, belongs to God. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that were sent. Look, verse 18. There's no question here about what God's instruction is. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, that thing that's been dedicated to God, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it, but all the silver and gold vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So he said, listen, all the spoil, we use that word, uh, that's in Jericho, all this valuable things that you're going to come across, uh, it is all dedicated to, go to God. It's all dedicated to go into the treasury of God. And if anybody puts their hands on any of that stuff, on the accursed or dedicated stuff, uh, then you're cursed. And it's going to be trouble, not just for you. It's going to be trouble for all Israel. There's no question here. There's no gray area. Everybody knows what God is saying. It's clear. And so we get to chapter number six and verse number 27. Can you imagine as, as it says Joshua's fame is noised about Joshua. Everybody knows his name. It's the excitement that was in the hearts of the people. Can you imagine as they saw the walls come down after they marched around them for a week? I mean, I'm sure that they were so excited. God, you have delivered us. You've delivered this city in a miraculous way. This is going to be great. Every time you're just, we're going to go after city after city. This is not going to be any problem at all. God, you've done something wonderful. And then we hit chapter seven and verse number one. 
but everything is going great, but God is blessing, but the people are rejoicing, but something happened in Jericho and it put Joshua and it put all the people on a path that led to this miserable defeat in their very next battle in a city called Ai. A battle that left 36 of their own com- uh, countrymen dead. And the Bible says all the people were disheartened. So what happened? Well, it's that situation I'd like to bring out some points out of what happened in Jericho and this man named Achan. And I'm just going to go out on a limb here. You're going to see yourself. (laughs) You're going to see yourself in what happened in Achan's life. So first of all, look chapter number seven. I told you I'm going to look around here, several different things. Chapter seven and verse number 21 Here's Achan's confession. So the first point is for sure this. Achan sinned. Look at chapter 7, verse number 21. And here's his confession. When I saw, he says, among the spoils, a Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So number one, Achan, he sinned. He knew what God said not to do. There was no question. He couldn't claim ignorance. Achan couldn't even say, well, there's this kind of this gray area, and I'm not really sure what God meant. I'm not really sure did he mean don't take anything or take some things. I I was confused when God said what it was. No, he knew exactly what he was not and what he was supposed to do when he took the stuff. I said you're going to see yourself. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I see myself. Because the truth is whenever I do something I'm not supposed to do. And the things that cause me trouble and the things that lead to my sin, can I be honest? They're not really gray areas. They might be things I want to label gray, but they're not gray. Don't we know what God said? Don't you and I know what God said to do? Are we somehow wandering around wondering, are we going to please God or displease God? Is this God going to be happy with this or God not going to be happy with this? Are we somehow in limbo and that's why we sin? No, the truth is we have his word. We have no question. And if you know him as your savior, you have you have the the spirit within that guides you. The truth is when we sin, eh, we want to. We're sinners. And. Here's what I notice about myself. Maybe again, this is just me. I can find a very logical, rational reason to do whatever it is I want to do. I'm picturing Achan in my mind who's looking at this stuff that he's about to take and all the logical, rational rationalizations that are going through his mind just before he breaks God's commandment. It's like maybe he's saying, well, there's no sense Can you picture this? This makes sense. There's no sense letting all this stuff just go go to waste. 
Maybe he said something like, there's already enough spoil in the treasury. Uh, no one's going to get hurt. Or maybe just, yeah, this isn't really no big deal. I think I've used a couple of those in my own heart. Just before I break God's commandment, just before I do what I know he said I'm not supposed to do, eh, it's not a, such a big deal. Nobody's going to hurt. Or maybe this one, for sure nobody's going to know. I've been around in ministry long enough to hear people even put spiritual sounding excuses on their lack of obedience. You know, like I prayed about it. Really? You prayed about it. You prayed that it's okay to disobey God's word. That's amazing. Or something like, here's a great one. Well, God wants me to be happy. I don't think that's in the Bible. I've looked, I've read it a few times. It doesn't say anything about that. What Achan did was a sin. No excuses. Knowingly, willingly, he broke God's commandment. And the truth is harsh. When you and I sin, we knowingly, willingly, without excuse, break God's commandment. Achan sinned. And if you look in verse number 21, here's the second thing I want you to notice. Achan's sin followed this familiar pattern that is still with us to this day. It has been from the very beginning and it's still with us. This familiar pattern he saw, he coveted, and he took. It says right there in verse number 21, he says, when I saw. I was out there doing what I was supposed to do, uh, Joshua, and all of a sudden I saw it. I saw the stuff. When I was, when you were, and I was, you know, in the preschool, Sunday school, what's that little song that they used to teach us that stays with us? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. You remember that one? Maybe we need to sing that in big church. <laughs> Father up above is looking down with love. What does, why was they, what does that song mean? Simply this. Your eyes, if you're not careful, will affect your heart and it could lead to some sin. Your eyes. How many times I wonder if Achan, before his death, said something like this. If I wish, I never would have seen that stuff. I wish I'd never laid my eyes on that stuff. And you and I both know. We get into trouble more often with our eyes than anything else. When we see, Aiken said, I saw it. If somehow we could manage to just keep our eyes away from those things that would then lead our hearts from the Lord, how much better off we would be. He said, I saw it. Joshua, I saw it. And then he says, look at the second thing. Of course, he coveted it. He says, when I saw it and he lists those things, then he's the words he used. I coveted them. I wanted them. I really wanted them bad. Now, remember, I said this course has gone on since the beginning. What does the Bible say about the Garden of Eden? She saw it and said, boy, that really looks good. 
You remember the story of David and Bathsheba. And I hate to pick on David. He was a man after God's own heart and, and one of our great heroes. But let's face it. He saw something and he wanted it. The word coveted or wanted there means this, to delight in. How much happier I would be if I just had, can you picture Achan? How much better my life would be if that was buried in the middle of my tent? How much better my life would be if I only had that Babylonian garment? How much more happy I would be if I only had that silver and that gold? How rich I would be? How great life would be if I only could have that? And then, of course, in verse 21, he coveted them. And as he put it, he took them. Well, covetousness is sin. So Achan, Achan when he coveted them, he sinned. But the judgment he faced would have certainly been different had he just left them lay. Because his eyes affected his heart, which affected his hands. And now here he is taking the stuff that God said not to take. And if you notice this out of just this passage, I'm sure this is familiar to you. He got it. He wanted it and got it. So he got what he wanted, but it brought no satisfaction. He got no pleasure. He didn't get to use it. He didn't even get to wear that jacket. He had to hide it. The thing that promised such joy and promised such happiness and promised such fun. The thing that was out there saying, boy, if you just take me, your life's going to be better. You're just going to have, this is going to be great. The thing that had so much promise attached to it only brought sorrow, pain, regret. And to be honest, that is always the way sin is. Promises so much. Promises so much and delivers so little. And what it does deliver is never what we wanted. I was thinking of the prodigal. Again, pick on poor prodigal. It just looked to him so wonderful to be out on his own, out from under his uh, father's rules and out there making, doing whatever he wanted to do. That just sounds so glamorous and, and so wonderful. And he had it all. He had wealth and he had friends and he was living it up. But I guess he never saw himself really at the end in the pig pen. Because sin takes you farther than you want to go. And it keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you ever want to pay. Achan sinned for sure. And his sin had this familiar pattern. And then this thing, Achan's sin. Achan's sin was unnoticed by everyone except God. Listen to these verses. Ye, yet they say, the Lord shall not see. Neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand, ye brutish among the people, and ye fools, when will ye be wise? 
He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chasteneth the heathen, shall he not correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall he not know? Proverbs 15, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Now we can make a case for poor Achan and say, well, Achan probably didn't have a really clear understanding of God. And maybe he didn't really know that God would see what he was doing. Maybe he didn't have that understanding because his, his knowledge of God was certainly limited. And maybe he didn't know that God would know everything. And maybe he had an excuse. But guess what? You don't. Because God knows everything. And he sees everything. And we have no excuse. We know that. And when you see something and you want something and you take something, when you sin, when you break God's commandment, when you do what you know he said not to do, you in your heart know. Even if you say, well, nobody's ever going to find out. Nobody's ever going to know. And nobody's ever going to get hurt. And it's just me. Guess what? You know in your heart, God knows. God sees Notice this in verse number five of chapter seven. Achan's sin led to defeat and to discouragement. In chapter number seven, you know that there was this defeat at this next city, the name Ai. They went to Ai on the heels of this great victory. And in verse number five, the men of Ai smote of them. 30 and six men for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shebarim and smote them in the going down. Wherefore, look what it says. The hearts of the people melted and became as water. The people suffered this embarrassing defeat here in this city called Ai when they should have been celebrating and they should have been still celebrating God's victory in, their, in, in Jericho. And now here they are running for their lives in verse number five. And they're beaten and bloodied and they're carrying of their fallen comrades, 36 dead men. And it says in verse five, look at that last place, the people, all the people who had been celebrating just a few days before. Now here they are and it says their hearts melted and became as water, they're discouraged. With defeat came discouragement. Think of that. Have you ever been discouraged? You know why you're discouraged? Because something defeated you. Because discouragement always follows defeat. Maybe it's because of sin. Maybe you sinned and you didn't want necessarily want to, if I could put it that way. In other words, maybe you told God you wouldn't. You've been defeated with the same sin last week and you told God you're not going to do that no more. And here you are again this week doing it again and you're defeated and discouraged. Maybe you were treated unfairly. That brought discouragement. Maybe you falsely accused. That was brought discouragement. Maybe you were abused and now you're discouragement, discouragement always follows defeat. And if you're discouraged right now as we sit here, why don't you deal with whatever it is that defeated you? Joshua had to deal with the reasons of defeat. 
before the people could be encouraged. Look at chapter 8, verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither thou be dismayed. In other words, let's get encouraged. Take all the people of war with thee and arise and go unto Ai and see, I have given unto thy hand the king of Ai, his people and his city and his land. When Joshua dealt with what brought defeat and discouragement, when Joshua dealt with that, then their hearts were encouraged. Can I tell you this? Until you deal with your sin, until you deal with your sin, you're going to be discouraged because you're going to be defeated. Maybe your discouragement is a result of someone else's sin. That's what happened here. Even if that's true, you know, you're responsible how you respond. Maybe you're just feeling the hurt and the pain of what someone else did. You're still responsible how you respond. If you respond wrongly, wrongly, then you're going to be discouraged. And if you're not careful, that discouragement will lead to bitterness. Which really brings up this next point. Achan's sin affected everyone. 36 men are dead because one man's sin. All of the people are defeated and discouraged because of one man's sin. And if you look in chapter 7 and verse number 24, look what it says. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold. And look what it says. And his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep. And his tent and all that they had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they stoned them with stones. That doesn't sound fair. His sons and daughters, they were innocent animals innocent. And here they were suffering the consequences of one man's sin. That doesn't sound fair. Well, let me ask you a question. Who's suffering the consequences of your sin? Is there ever a victimless sin? Or does our sin always affect others? It affects families, churches, society, Marriages break up because of one sin. Children experience hurt and pain. Many times they're going to struggle with maybe the rest of their lives. Innocent people, discouraged, disappointed, disillusioned. Who's experiencing the consequences of your sin? And even if no one else is ever hurt by your sin... Can I tell you this? You are. Your relationship with God is. Your spirit is. Your conscience is. And if you're not careful, you find yourself on a path that leads to more callousness towards the things of God and your own sin. Everyone is affected, especially you. Aiken, what you've done 
has caused everyone to be discouraged. And in the end, you lost your life and your whole family as a result. Achan's sin affected everyone. Notice this, Achan had the same problem all of us had. Here it is. We're in our heart. We are rule breakers, rebels, outlaws. There's always something in us that is going to have the potential to disobey God. And not only that, I'm afraid this is true. We don't see our sin in the same way God sees it. Do you see your sin as black as God sees it? No, that was a little white lie. Now that wasn't a big sin. That was a small insignificant thing. That wasn't a big one. That was a small lie. That was a little sin. That was a little lust. It wasn't a big deal. It was just this little thing. The little white lie. Think of this. The little white lie requires the blood of Jesus to wash away. The small, insignificant sin that no one else knows about but you still require that Jesus died to forgive you of that sin. That's how black sin is. Ask yourself this question. What should Achan have done differently? <laughs> Here's a is Mr. Obvious. Don't take the stuff. Hey, Achan, no. There's some things off limits. There's some things if God says, don't do it, don't do it. And that's for our own good. Because you have a choice. You're not in bondage to sin. In other words, you don't have to sin. And think of this. This just struck me as I was thinking about this. Achan is right in the middle of the promised land wanting something he couldn't have. Isn't that like me? God gives me so much. God blesses me with so much. God is so good to me. But yet I want what I can't have. Say, well, that's not in me. Oh, it is. It was in you when you were a toddler in the nursery. Take any kid, any normal boy. I don't know about you women. Let's just pick on the boys. Take any normal boy. Put him in a room of toys. Say, play with anything you want except this one thing. He goes right, you know where he's going, right to the one thing you said he can't have. It was that way with Adam and Eve, and it was that way with David on his balcony. And to be honest with you, it's that way with me. God's given us so much, but I want the one thing he says I can't have. And not only that, when I, what we don't realize is if I, if I get that one thing, if you do that one thing, if you go that one place, it doesn't satisfy. It only leads to heartache and sorrow and regret. And aching, don't take it. 
Achan, leave it. But he took it. And there's no mulligans. And as much as he may have wished, as he's about to watch his family get stoned to death, as much as he may have wished, he couldn't go back and do it again. So not only should he have not taken the stuff, was there something else he could have done? I mean, he took it. He's guilty. Is there something else he could have done? Well, he could have done this. Listen to Proverbs 28. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You know what Achan did? He took the stuff. He knows he's not supposed to. So the first thing he does is he goes into his tent and he digs a hole in the bottom and he puts it all in there to hide it. He's having, he's having a ball with his stuff that he just took. Hides it in his tent. Now I'm not sure if the situation would have been different or if, this, if the circumstances, the consequences would have been different if he had not immediately confessed. But I know this, AI would have been different. AI would have been different. The consequences for him may have been the same. I don't know. But AI would have been different. 36 men wouldn't have lost their lives. The people wouldn't have been discouraged. But since we can't go back and have a do-over, we can't go back and undo what we did. You know, you really, when you sin, you only have one option. Well, you have the option of hiding it. But as it says in Proverbs, that doesn't bring prosperity. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just anytime, every time, all the time, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, yeah, Brother Ted, you don't know what I did. I've, hide, I've been hiding it. No one knows but me. You don't know how bad it was. You don't know the depths I've gone. You don't know the things I've done or said or seen, the places I've been. You don't know the people I've hurt. You don't know how deep my sin is. There's no qualifications in that verse. Anytime, every time, all the time. He says he's faithful and just to forgive. Achan, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know if the consequences would have been the same or not. But I know this. He could have run to God and confessed. May, may not have changed the outcome. But certainly would have for Ai and for the children of Israel and for the trouble that came his way. And did you notice where it said that in verse 24, something that really I, I wanted to point out. They brought them unto the valley of Achor. The place where Achan and his family were put to death was called the valley of Achor, which means this, the valley of trouble. That for, for generations... This valley of Achor became a figure of speech. In other words, if you were having a, a, a rough time, 
if things weren't going well, if you were facing some tribulations, some trials and just difficulties, you would say something like this, man, I am going through the valley of Achor. Or if you could see potential in the future, you say, you better watch it. You get messed up there, you're going to go through the valley of Achor. Just this figure of speech that caught on. The valley of Achor. And everybody knew that's where Achan lost his life. But in the Bible, there's outside of this reference, there's two other references to the valley of Achor that are very interesting. Let me read them to you. Hosea chapter number two. And I will give her her vineyards from fence. And the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Isaiah 65. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks and the valley of Achor a place for the herds to lie down in for my people that have sought me. Both of these references are concerning the Jews and how God's going to respond to the Jews according to their obedience. And he's going to take that place that's been known for death and for trouble and for trial. He's going to take the valley of Achor, that place where Achan was where Achan sinned and where he was and his family were buried and the place was remembered for defeat and for humiliation. God's going to take that and he's going to transform it. And Isaiah said he's going to turn that valley into a place of protection and provision. And Hosea said that God would change it from a valley of trouble to a door of hope and a place of singing. How could it be that a place remembered as Achor could be a door of hope and of singing and protection and provision? And the very place where Israel was troubled was going to be the place now where Israel's going to be blessed. And can I tell you, it's just like God. When we put off our wickedness and we've repented from breaking his commandments and maybe even faced the consequences of our sin, isn't it just like God then to bury that in the deepest ocean and to put it as far as the east is from the west and to remember it no more and even then to open a door of hope to bless, to forgive, to love, to provide, that's God. And you might even be saying right now, I know something about the Valley of Achor. I know something about that. And it might be brought on by your own sin or it might be brought on by the sin of others, but you understand what it means to be in the Valley of Achor. Can I tell you, God said there's a door of hope there because God, God who is God, and take Achor and make it a do-over. Before I quit, let's just make some admissions to each other. Number one, everyone in this room has had times when we wish we mulligans were a real thing. You made a mistake, or to put it bluntly, you sinned. You hurt someone, you disobeyed. Big or little is how we look at them. Either way, we've all been there. 
Not only that, our sin has affected others. Many times, and certainly it's affected us. And we can see in our own lives how our sin has had impact on others. Because of my choices, I've seen how others have been hurt. We've tried to hide our sin. You've tried. You've tried to hide your sin. Adam tried to hide his sin and run from God, even though God promised to forgive. All of us have run from him. We've tried to run and hide from the only one who can forgive and who can cleanse us. Everyone in this room has suffered suffered consequences as a result of sin. Some of them lasting and life-changing. Others may be temporary or minor. But all of us have felt the results of sin. All of us wished for a do-over, a mulligan. All of us live with a little bit of regret. I wish I could go back. Wish I could do that over. All of us have been in our own valley of Achor. So now what do we do? What does Achan's life teach us? First of all, admit it and bring it to him. Of all religions in the world, Christianity is the only one where God says, bring me your sin. Bring it to me. Your sin, your failure. Your lack of faith, your weaknesses, don't hide them, don't cover them, don't make excuses for them. Openly admit to God, yes, I've sinned. And then allow God to do what only God can do. Turn your acor into hope. He that covereth his sin shall prosper. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Cover them. No prosperity there. Confessing and forsaking mercy. I don't know where you are this morning. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, can I tell you, come to him. His arms are open. In fact, he's, he's asking for you to bring your sin to him. Whoever would do that, he's faithful and just to forgive. There's never been a time where you've received Christ as your Savior. There's never been a time you've come to Him. Can I tell you, today's the day of salvation. Would you not this morning when we have a time of invitation, come and let us take a Bible and show you how to receive Christ this morning. And if you're saved and you're like all of us, there's been times you wish you could have a do-over. You wish you could start it again. You wish you could play it back. What do I do? I'm in the Valley of Achor. God can turn that into a door of hope. It starts with admitting it and bringing it to him. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. Would you bow with me? Before we have our invitation, I'd like to ask a question. Who in here would say, Brother Ted, I'm not everything I'm supposed to be. I know that. I'm not everything that I want to be. But I know I'm saved. I know there was a time I received Jesus as my Savior. And I know that if I died today, heaven would be my home. Would you raise your hand as a testimony to that? Aren't you thankful? Almost every hand is up. I'm so thankful. Thank you. And I know those of you who had your hands lifted, I know there's times, and maybe even right now, you're in a valley of Acor. There's some trouble. And it may be as a result of your sin or the sin of someone else. 
Maybe it's just a life. You're facing difficulties and troubles. You can bring those to him. This morning when we, are, when we have our invitation, if you want to here at the altar or there where you're sitting, you can just bring those to God. Is there one who would say, Brother Ted, I don't know that I'm saved. I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned enough to raise my hand, but I'm not sure if I died that heaven would be my home. I don't have that confidence. Would you pray for me? Is there one that would lift your hand and say, just pray for me. I'm not going to come talk to you or, or anything like that. I just really seriously want to know who to pray for. Is there one? Raise your hand. Pray for me, Brother Ted. I'm not sure of my salvation, but I'm concerned enough to raise my hand and let you pray for me. Is there one? Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for our time together this morning. Right in this room. I know that no one raised their hands that they aren't sure of their salvation, but not all could raise their hand of that they were sure that they were saved. And so it could be there's some folks here this morning who don't know Christ. I pray that they would come, let us take a Bible and show them how to be saved. However you've spoken to hearts, it could be that some are dealing with unconfessed sin. They're trying to hide it and they're trying to run from you. And you've promised in your word to forgive and that if we hide and we run and we try to uh, not bring it to you, we try to hide it from you, that we're not going to prosper. There's some in a valley maybe of Acor as we speak. I pray you'd help them to see that door of hope that begins when we admit it, we bring it to you. So you can deal with hearts. However you see fit, I pray that folks would respond in a time of invitation. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name.